Welcome to the Property Funder podcast. This is me, Michael Dean. I'm your host. Um, the Property Funder podcast is supported by Aidmore Capital, which is a development finance company which I co-founded. So many thanks to them. Today, I am talking to Lloyd. Uh, Lloyd, um, please tell us uh, your full name and tell us what you do for your work. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Yes, my full name is Lloyd Miller, and I call myself a professional mentor and coach. Um, so there aren't any other titles that I can call myself. So I'm I'm kind of a hybrid, somewhere operating between uh, what you might call counselling into therapy, um, and I help individuals, I help company directors, I help small teams. Fundamentally change their approach to, to a problem that they're having and teach them some new skills. The idea being that when they walk away with a, a new experience, hopefully a better one. Yeah, and, I, uh, sorry, Lloyd, I was going to say that, that I think it probably underplays what you underplays what you do. I mean, for full disclosure, Lloyd is, has been my uh, my performance coach for the last seven years or coming up to seven years and has had a very profound impact on my life. But um, before we kind of talk talk through the the nuts and bolts of it, and I don't think we'll 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 barely scratch the surface of of coaching and and the work that you do today. Um, can we just briefly touch on how did you get here? How did you get into the world of coaching? Um, what what brought you here? And um, yeah, let's talk about the career journey up to that point. Well, I, I, first of all, I, I didn't actually look to have this career. It wasn't deliberate on my part. It, it sort of came about. Um, I used to. I used to work in television uh, as a producer director and was aware I was becoming sort of jaded with that business um, and then was really brought to my knees at the age of between well 34 to 35 literally brought to my knees by a sort of uh, a series of anxiety attacks as it turns out they were um, personally I thought I was kind of dying of some horrible unknown disease but turns out the one who went to see a GP said no they're anxiety attacks so he said so what are you anxious about and I said well nothing frankly I'm I've got I've got um, I've got my own company I feel really good uh, I've got a gorgeous girlfriend I've got a nice car and, and life's good right I travel and I had no understanding at all of my actual emotional realm so he wanted to put me on antidepressants, which I'm kind of against fundamentally. Uh, there is a time for them. I'm not saying I'm against them totally, but I don't think they should be prescribed quite as readily, readily as they are. Um, and then I realised that we were just trying to, he was trying to sort out the symptoms rather than get to the cause of the problem. So I went in search of someone who could help me. Anyway, long story short, I found a man, an exceptional man who took me on and began the process of self-examination, understanding how I came to be here in the way that I was, ultimately discovered what the cause of the anxiety was. It wasn't anything that I had possibly imagined. And it was a very profound psychological journey, um, which really changed me. Um, and bef before you go on, Lloyd, can yeah. you just can you just tell our listeners how old were you when when you started this process this process of if I want to call it something self-discovery 
yeah um 35 because the i went to see the gp at 35 and so for the next seven years i was on a journey of self-discovery three of those were probably quite intense you could call it therapy and then the next four were more sort of coaching mentoring sort of input but there was a lot to learn and that's that was stunning i mean the idea that, that we walk into adult life and don't know everything we need to know is a is a sort of a rather sort of sanguine experience really it's um and, 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 and to interrupt uh, for a second yeah, your so you talk about the the four years of therapy and then the subsequent years of coaching were they with the same individuals with the same professionals or were you, or was that working with a, with a different sets of individuals and, and specialists yeah. um it was three years of therapy and four years of coaching with okay. the same man um but then i supplemented it with other personal development courses and i read lots and lots of books and uh, yeah you can't expect to change your life just by talking to somebody you've got to do something else so reading books developing my knowledge deepening my understanding of things doing lots of writing and personal development courses absolutely the whole thing changes changes you um and so the way it happened was i was at a uh, I was at an event, I can't remember if it was a wedding or a, or a party or whatever, but I found myself sitting next to a man and we got chatting and this is seven years, this is seven years down the road and we got chatting and he said, um, he said, oh, and at the end of, we chatted for about an hour and at the end of the hour he said, oh, um, this has been a really great talk, can we have another one, please? But it's not something you'd normally, people, people would say at a party. I said, well, sure, I suppose, and he, you know, he said, no, I'll, I'll pay you. And I went, oh, okay. So it was really accidental. And and I think what it was is that simply that by actually doing this, by doing the seven years of learning and growing, it wasn't that I considered that I was some guru who should be passing on wisdom, but simply that somebody who hadn't done that journey recognized in talking to me that there were some things they didn't know and they wanted to know. And so began my mentoring journey. As a, as a mentor as opposed to a receiver i became a, a giver so and, and then and that's continued i'm now 60 so you know time's gone on and i've learned a lot more and got more effective at what i do so you've been essentially you've been a professional coach for something in the region of 18 years is that is that correct yeah 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 correct. um yeah and at first i didn't have any qualifications but i subsequently got some and, and what's, my, my what, what does that look um, and what and what specific qualifications were those if it, for anyone who's interested in in yeah, getting no, into okay. coaching um well i did i did a, a number of courses but ultimately end up with with qualifications in in group facilitation counseling skills uh, conflict resolution executive coaching and organization development which again is organizational coaching um okay but and really the no, I was going to say, and and that and that process of of the qualification process is is that kind of one of those sort of lifelong learning things, where you're on, you're you're constantly looking to get further certification, or is that something that you did in in a single block? Um, I did it in two blocks, really, um, and thankfully it was on a part time basis, so I could continue working. And then I had to transition, of course, out of my old work into my new work. Um, which uh, yeah, was, can you, which wasn't can you, easy. Can you talk? Can you talk through that process? Uh, I mean, I know you've told told me about it privately, but um, transitioning. Yeah. Well, simply yeah. that I, one person came to see me, which of course you can't you can't build a coaching uh, practice based on one client. But 
he had a good experience, told someone else, the two of them then told someone else. And, and eventually over a period of years, I had sort of a regular clientele of an evening. And then I had to make the decision to jump from being part-time to being full-time and gave up my so-called day job, which I was happy to do. I'd had enough of it. What, what did your uh, what did your days look like if if you were seeing, you know, how many days, how many evenings a week were you kind of doing your side hustle of, of coaching that essentially took you to a place where you felt that you could give up the day the day job of, of being a TV well, producer? Well, well, there was an added incentive that I that coincided with me becoming a dad. So I I did a lot of um, a lot of parenting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So which I loved. So you had so you had your daughter Jasmine, uh, who, who by all accounts is a very accomplished individual, uh, and uh, and and not not and understandably that that acted as a as a motivator for you to to shall we say not be in the West End and or or or, or, or flying off internationally making the um, exactly. the, the documentaries that exactly. you that you used to produce. Uh, exactly. And it gave you an opportunity to be to be home and present more. So that, that yeah. understandably, that's that that's a nice motivation for you. So so I guess n- now, Lloyd, um, you're someone who who was was referred to me uh, by uh, by a friend uh, called Nick Katz, uh, who obviously is a, was a longtime client of yours. Um, and I'm not betraying any confidence here uh, by saying that. Uh, Nick won't mind that. But um, y- y- essentially, you get most of your clients by by word of mouth how um all of them actually yeah I, I mean how how many clients do you typically work with a, on average at any one at any one time uh, i cap it at 20 a week um because it's actually very demanding the uh it, the amount of attention it involves i mean if you do any intensive you, Doing yes, you do anything intense for for sort of twenty to twenty five hours a week. You, you you know it is you can keep doing more, but you get burnout, and I don't want to burn out. I want to keep fresh. So in between sessions, I will do something completely different. Uh, when my daughter was younger, we go to the playground or whatever, you know, or I go cycling or go to the gym or play music or whatever, and um, or or I'd read. Um, because to give someone 100% of your attention is something that actually we might think we do, but we don't really. Um, and actually, when you do sit down in front of someone and really pay attention to every single detail of what they're saying, it, it's very, it actually is tiring. It's, yeah, it's I, more I can, tiring I can than that. I think people imagine. It's not so much that I'm carrying. You know, heavy loads of people's emotional distress. I mean, that does come up as well, of course. But it, it's it's just the intensity. It's it's very powerful. Yeah, I guess the the thing is you're 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 experiencing a lot with the clients that you work with, and I guess one of the th- the key things that you need to the key qualities as an individual. And, I, and I'd actually like you to expand on this, but clearly one of the key qualities that you need to have is to be an empath and to build and develop connection with uh, with the client that you're that you're working with what what other what other key qualities do you need as a coach uh to to be effective i mean obviously as uh, being a good listener will help but um we can talk about the distinctions between coaching and therapy in a moment 
but what what are the other key qualities and, and skill sets that you need to have to be an effective coach in, in your particular brand of coaching? Well, I think, well, knowledge, really. Knowledge is fundamental. And without how people expect to change anything without knowledge is baffles me. And I certainly used to have the idea that I could just turn up and, and somehow it would come in by osmosis. But in reality, it, it's effort, it takes effort. And being good at any skill takes effort. And, and the more you learn, the more you know, the more effective you can be. So empathy is absolutely fundamental. But so is knowledge, because without knowledge, you can't you can't discover what you need to do differently or what new approach to take if you without knowledge. So for me, um, I do a lot of teaching, really, uh, you know, rather less sitting and listening. Well, I do that too, but I but there comes a point in the session where we need to do something. We're going to do something differently. So what skills are we going to deploy? What what intelligence are we going to apply to this situation? What do we? Gonna, yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of teaching. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but empathy absolutely fundamental. Um, oh, sorry. Actually, there's a quality to that empathy uh, as well, which is very important. Uh, and I call this the four evils. You know, these are the things. Uh, it sounds a bit gimmicky, but it's very important. You know, most people in conversations don't realise they're doing it, but they often deploy judgment mm -hmm. and criticism and blame and and heaven forbid shame. Mm. So if someone says something, you go, oh my god, you don't you don't actually do that, do you? And 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 in and in our culture, that's kind of a normal thing to say. That's okay. I mean, actually, but as a relational experience, that's the, that's like the worst thing you can do to somebody. I mean, implied in that comment, in that reaction to something you might say, is is a criticism, a judgment, uh, and shame. I mean, what you're really saying is, gosh, you must be an idiot to think that. <laughs> and that what that does to the dynamic of a relationship is just basically close it down. And if you're going to do coaching, you're going to learn and grow. You're going to do the opposite of that. So. As well as empathy, the qualities I'm bringing are an absence of judgment, an absence, an absence of shaming, and an absence of blame. We're not. This is a this is a a really safe environment to just open up, be yourself. Nothing bad's going to happen. If you don't open up, if you don't open up your mind to new possibilities and learning, you won't get the benefit. Can you just answer your question? Could could you just repeat those uh, the, uh, the, those those four things that you were just uh, the four qualities that you were just saying because your your connection just went for a second and I think we lost maybe one of the first things that you the, the first things in that list in terms of the four qualities that that you need for for coaching um, that's okay all right so empathy is obviously profoundly important yeah then what I call emotional safety or psychological safety yeah which is an absence of the things that we're so used to and we don't notice but they they have a bad impact on us which is criticism judgment blame and shame mm -hmm. it's it's almost impossible to have to, to be in public places and avoid conversations where they happen Mm. But in the space, uh, in a in a deliberate space of personal development and growth, they are 
counterproductive. Of course. And I and I do not do them. And I teach people not to do them themselves because it makes a huge difference in your life. Yeah. If you don't feel psychologically safe, you can never fully, you can never truly open yourself up and and and, and express how you feel or the things that you're concerned or or, or fearful of. Yeah. And, yeah. and therefore, you'll you'll never really be able to have. Um, you'll never really be able to have a, a, as full a relationship with a coach, a mentor, a therapist um, as you might do, uh, as you might do otherwise. And certainly from my own personal experience, having worked with therapists in the past, um, you, you know, I, I remember having a therapist probably going back 12 years ago. And I don't I, I don't think I I think I always held back a little bit. With, with her because I always felt that there was a part of her that judged me whether rightly or wrongly I have to say in my experience with yourself um I never I've never really felt I, I you know that I never felt judged by you I always felt like I was able to be open and expressive about who I am and how I fe- how I felt about things um, and so I agree that that that, that 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 psychological safety that you afforded me pretty much from the beginning yeah. was what was one of the keys to why the work that we've done together has been very successful and yeah and i learned it i learned it by being vulnerable myself obviously i mean i went through the process of change that i'm now passing on effect i mean i it's i do it in my own way i've got new things that i do that are different but you know ultimately the fundamentals of, uh, of what i experienced so i know i know what it's like to be in the chair of my client because I was in that mm. chair. Yeah, so I know what I need. I know what you need. I know what one, one would need in order to, to benefit from coaching. Uh, and of course, you know, as you as you mature and as you as you gain experience um, as a human, you you clearly continue to develop and develop the skills, and the skills continue to evolve. Um, I mean, certainly something that you have uh you know you, you've explained explained to me or you talk about your experiences that you work on you have a study group outside of your own practice i think one of the other reasons why mm-hmm. you, one of the reasons why you probably can't devote more than four or five hours a day of actual face time with clients is because in addition to the work you do with them you're also doing i guess what you would call personal development work um in terms of furthering your own understanding of the craft um you know i i, I sit here with uh, i sit here with a, a a book by james uh if you can see it a book by james hollis uh, called on this journey we call our life um and i'm reading that book because of you and uh, you you've gone you've probably gone even further than most people in your position to the extent that some of these very influential authors like james hollis you developed a a, a close relationship with them um, so that you can know and understand the subject matter even more intimately. Mm. Yes. Um, well, I'm of the view that you can't stop learning. <laughs> you know, like the shark, you know, if the shark stops moving in water, it dies. It's not enough oxygen. And I feel the same in terms of the growth journey. If you stop, nothing's coming through. You don't literally die, of course, but there's a sort of become stagnant. Yeah. And so it's important to continually learn and, and stretch yourself. And it's not an artificial, you know, I must be better than the next man kind of thing. It's not a macho activity. It's it's actually a wellness activity. Well, well, I think something that the uh, something that our 
the the coaching process has 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 taught me is 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 that it is really to question why why we do these things and 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 understanding and questioning our motivations and you talk about the sort of the macho or so I can be better than the other person um I think perhaps historically that might have been a a good motivator for why why I or someone might do something but of course you look at the you look at the that those drivers those motivators if that is your if your driver for improving your self-improvement is to be better than someone else um you may need to take you 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 may need to take a deeper dive and a deeper look at yourself as to what 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 is what occurred what event occurred in your in your past in your childhood that led yeah. you to to take that attitude as opposed to actually my journey of, of self-discovery and self-improvement is is to further and develop my own personal psyche um yeah. for my benefit and if if i benefit then the wider world will benefit rather than um some sort of um some sort of myth that i that that either i've developed my, on my own or somehow society has imposed on me that where i have to sort of uh, you know maintain some sort of psychological construct that forces me to take that sort of attitude um i don't i don't i don't come across that macho approach very often it does happen no. uh, but you know coaching has its roots also in in uh, there's an as, there's a, a sort of there's an aspect of business coaching which is all about getting ahead there's certainly an aspect of sports coaching uh, i am a sports coach or at least i was a sports coach um so in you know coaching is something that is all about improving yourself and getting better in, in order to beat the next person or the other crew or whatever. In my case, it was rowing, but uh, there are, you know, whatever sport it is, you're looking to you know, get bigger and faster than the next guys. So there is an aspect of coaching which is about being better than, I suppose, but it doesn't in in my in my framing, it's just simply better than I was showing up yesterday. So that's the that's the measurement I prefer. But, but I mean, but but ultimately, isn't even when you look at it in a sporting context so you know ultimately the the only competition you really have is yourself if you can be yeah. better if you can be a better version of uh, of yourself than you were yesterday mm. if the person that you were yesterday was you know uh, was you know was a second behind if, if using a rowing analogy because i know you're you're a you're, you're a big rower back in the day you know if you're mm. if you're if your crew is a second behind the next you know the the best boat and you mm. you know but and you can make your boat a second faster mm. then you stand a much better chance of beating the other mm. boat but the focus should but the focus should always be on being better yourself rather than just yeah. just try you know the the analogy of the yeah. two men in the desert being chased by the line you know just being being better than than the next guy <laughs> being faster than the other guy, being faster than the other guy is not, isn't necessarily the most healthy way of of, of doing it um <laughs> let, let's talk about let's talk about sort of what what you consider coaching to be and let's and and can we also look at it and in in a contrast of in in the contrast to therapy but also that kind of um some of the some of the other you know advertised coaching uh that's that's available to that people try to sell themselves as um okay particularly at, at the sort of more inexperienced more junior end of the scale well, I mean, they all have something in common, don't they? I mean, and, and therapy doesn't 
simply just mean psychotherapy, of course, although we use that as a shorthand for psychotherapy, but you know, um, osteopathy is a therapy, you know, reflexology is a therapy, uh, physiotherapy is a therapy. So, so what is therapy? Therapy simply is um, changing something, well, in, in modern parlance anyway, it just simply means changing something, an experience, a, a, a usually a, a, an injurious experience, some, some deficiency and changing it for something better. So you arrive in pain and you leave feeling better. That's that's the idea of therapy. Um, the the classic therapy. In, in actually, the word comes from ancient Greek, uh, therapium, I think it's pronounced, and, and it simply means to attend to. So it's interesting how modern parlance has kind of changed that. It's, in, it's now an outcomes-based word, but it just means to attend to. Uh, and the, for the vast majority of people who who go to therapy these days, it's am I right in am I right in assuming that it's kind of like a it's like a Jungian analysis rather than no no, no, it's okay. not. no 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 okay. no 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 the idea no Jungian psychology as I'm told is represents a very small percentage of therapists these days right okay uh, like ten percent if it, if that because yeah. the 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 ther before I started working with you the therapist that I saw for the best part of three years she was she was a specialist in Jungian analysis essentially so which maybe is which maybe skews my perspective of, uh, of yes. these things okay yes and also I've read Jungian, Jungian psychology and James Hollis who you're reading is is the world's leading Jungian psychologist uh, according to some anyway yeah um, so but the insights of Jung were profound um, so I'm curious that that so many people don't. There's a lot of yeah. There's so many divisions within it. It it kind of makes you wonder how it works that you go to see someone, and somehow their school of thought manages to solve all the same problems as someone else's school of thought. Mm. I, I I don't know how that works, but um. Uh, simply having, I mean, going to find someone who takes your problem seriously, and then tries to attend to it in a helpful way helps lots of people. I think the stats on therapies are, are quite high, actually. I think 80% of, I've actually looked this up today, that psychology today, oh, sorry, the Association of um, the American Association of Psychological Practitioners in America, whatever it's called, they say 80% of people benefit from psychotherapy. So, you know, there's something in that that would suggest that actually sitting and having anyone pay attention to you and be interested in your problem and try to help is actually going to help you. And I think it will. I think one of the problems that we experience and why I think coaching therapy or anything else or talking to somebody older and wiser is helpful is because we're actually quite alone. We we, we get in our education system and not, not anti in an evolution, but in any sense, um, but um, yeah, education is about maths, physics, it's sciences, it's, it's languages, and so on, which is great. But where's the? But where do we learn about relationships? Where do we learn about how to be? How do we learn self-care? How do we learn care for others? Where do we learn um, the fundamentals of of keeping yourself healthy? How do we learn about the fundamentals of nutrition? See, almost anything that's important about being 
is ignored. <laughs> it doesn't exist in their education. But somehow we we learn abstract subjects relatively. We get thrown into the world of work and somehow be expected to manage complex problems with a very rudimentary understanding of how things actually work. No wonder people have problems. It's it's understandable. It's normal, really. Um, and 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 how and how does and and how does coaching how does coaching help bridge that gap? I mean, obviously, I I know because I've experienced it, but how, you know, for for our, for well, our audience, how, how how does coaching bridge that gap? I can only speak I can only speak about my own personal way of doing coaching. I I know that coaching has many different faces. I gather that there are currently a hundred thousand coaches in the UK. I mean, wow. And 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 growing. I think it's probably one of the yeah. fastest growing uh, yeah. a, a business areas in in the UK for sure, and possibly worldwide. Right. So if coaching is sitting down with a twenty-five-year-old with no real experience, but who's done a coaching qualification, and then somehow evaluating your life so far, working out what you want to do next. That, that's quite a different experience, I would imagine, to doing it with someone older who's been through a profound process of change. I'm not, I'm not saying this to beef myself up. I'm just acknowledging that it's, it's, it's a complex area. Personal growth and development is not some lightweight task. It, it, it takes a long time. Um, and so how does coaching help? Well, coaching, coaching helps because it gives you insights you couldn't possibly acquire on your own in your own time that's that's the probably the quickest thing i can say about it um having someone who's tuning into you making it their business to understand what you experience and then trying to find out what you want to need and then trying to give it to you that's when does that happen in your life well it doesn't doesn't it doesn't happen very often either but you know you you just touched on though something that I know is very much at the crux of your, you know, of your practice of, and, and when you deal with clients, which is, you know, you know, essentially, you know, what, what do you want or need and, and how, you know, and, and I think the follow up question is, and how can I help you achieve that? Well, I wouldn't necessarily, how can I help you? But I, to understand what somebody's trying to achieve obviously is important. And now, you know, there are, performance style coaches or you know corporate style coaches who it's all about goals and, and procedures to get to you you know improve your performance not in that category I, well I, I am interested in that but if it's it can be an artificial exercise to just put to put a sort of sort of I don't know what language I'm looking for it's almost like trying to put a, a structure on something in an artificial way mm. so it doesn't matter if you if you're if you should be selling more things or or performing more duties or whatever if if your if your attitude is somehow to the past you're putting in front of yourself it doesn't matter how in fact your condition will worsen the more you try to force yourself to do something you're not really into so i'm much more interested in alignment if you know what you want it does that actually align with your core values does that actually align with what you really want because if it doesn't it doesn't matter how many performance tasks you put in front of yourself you won't achieve them to-do lists classic to-do lists i call them self-shame lists because 
they're a daily reminder of all the things you haven't done. <laughs> people write to-do lists, they write lists and lists and lists, and people like that often, not, that's not true of everybody, but some people really don't do very well on that diet of daily input. It, it actually makes them extremely anxious. Yeah, I, so, I think I think that's that 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 I think many people can relate to that. Uh, as I sit with a with a self a to do list that I put together with many many items not ticked off and many items which will probably never tick be ticked off. It's like it's like the uh, it's like the email inbox and that that target of email inbox zero. Um, you know the the impossible task and the thankless task, uh, which you know as soon as soon as you achieve it, it it comes undone because someone will send you another email. So uh, I I get that. Um, I I think you were I think you were slightly hinting at some of the more well known um, performance coaches who are sort of a bit more on the celebrity end, uh, where you know they claim to fix you in five days, or they claim to fix people in five days. In reality, how long does it take for someone to really achieve, you know, achieve what they need to achieve from a performance coaching program or process like one that you would put together yourself? Well, uh, hmm. it's like asking a rope maker, how long is a rope? How long do you want it to be? I, I, you know, if, the, if your problem that you're coming with is severe, it's probably going to take a long time. I mean, many, many years. If, well, if, yeah. if well, really, I mean, if 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 you're, you know, let's say that you're, you come with a business problem, as many people do, and then they discover well, actually the business problem is because of something about me. Then you've got to work on that before you can fix the business problem. So. It, it, it can be can be a few sessions. It could be weeks, months, and in many cases, in some cases, anyway, years. Yeah, I, I mean, because and my, my own example there. Yeah, well, me too. I mean, I seven years before anybody thought I might be worth talking to about anything important. You know, it, it's not an overnight process because there's a lot to learn. I mean, there's an awful lot to learn because we haven't been taught the things we need, as I said earlier. So there's a lot to learn. And not yeah. only is there stuff to learn, we've also got old habits that we have to replace with new ones. And we have to learn what they are, and then we have to practice like hell until we get really good at them. Mm. So it's complex. There's a lot of resistance to change as well. That's the other thing. Live in a culture where, oh, I'd like one of those, please. So just give me some money, sign up to this, pay your dues, whatever, and suddenly you've got that thing. And and health, you know, oh, my my pancreas has gone. Can you kind of give me a new one, please? And you know, I've even, there was a doctor I met who, who works in genetic medicine. And he says, I get parents coming to me. He said, oh, we'd like a child that's like this, this and this. Can you raise that, please? You know, we have this mindset, you know, changes like, like that, you know. And it's not, well, it is in some areas of life. But when it comes to how I show up, my attitudes, my deep-seated behaviours, my the deep-seated behaviours I wouldn't even want to tell you about, you know, my my secret unconscious beliefs about myself. Worth doing, definitely worth doing, and doable, but not quick. No, no, un, unquestion, uh, unquestionably, and I, I, as I say, I, from my own experience, I know that it's it, it, it's a long, it's a long. I wouldn't just like to describe it as an arduous process, but it's a process that you need to commit to. And no. 
in addition to it, in addition to sitting with a coach on a weekly basis for for an hour or however long the the, the coach might sit with you for you also have to do study and self uh, self reflective work as well and actually some of the self reflective work is some of the hardest uh work that you can do because uh, as someone who likes to read I can read very quickly, but actually it's there's a there's a skill and an art to being able to read and, and, and actually distill the key components of the of the books and the literature and, and, and also sometimes videos as well, uh, which you've historically recommended to me. Mm-hmm. And, and that feeds in. And, and actually, I want to touch on the I mean, I want to touch on the experience that you talk about how people come to you with a business problem and actually when actually when they turn it around they they find it's it's actually something in their personal life and I think it was very similar in my own case that I came to you I think at a bit of a low ebb uh, a bit of a low ebb had just had a, a sort of business success but it was coming off the high very quickly and um you know I, I think was feeling a little bit lost and you, you know, like, uh, and I was sort of coming to you saying, all right, come on, fix me, make make my business better, make me better at business. Um, as I'll say, I was terrible at the time, but but actually, the, the thing you highlighted to me in my case was actually a, a lot of a lot of it. You, you know, I think the, the number one thing above all other things that I learned from you was about developing connection and building connection, and that started mm. at that started at home. It started with my oldest son it started with my wife mm. um and then that's translated into building relationships and building connection and developing em- uh, and and building empathy with mm. um with work colleagues um you know work subordinates suppliers um clients and then extending that into a more social realm and a more social setting and god only knows i'm still very much a work in progress but that you know it, it's develop it's developing those developing those uh developing that level of connection with people is has you know there, there's been a a very clear connection whether you know whether it's entirely connected or not it, it remains you know is, is up for debate but certainly if i track the success of, of avonmore capital you know the inflection point happened not too long after we started working together um and continued to to track upwards ever since Mm. then and some of some of that will be external and completely unrelated and a lot of it will be down to the fact that actually i've i've been i i I was empowered with a greater set of skills to then not just a businessman but also as a human um so so from a personal perspective I know that uh, I I I I know what what work is involved, um, but obviously it, it the skills some people are, are naturally born with the great ability to connect and develop connection, and there are other skills that they that they lack and that they they need work they need help from a coach on. I mean, could Absolutely. you give some exa- Could you give some examples of you know of of outside of the realm of say connection, which is obviously very personal to me because of the work we've done together? What other skills um, would you say that people have have commonly come to you and have needed help and help developing um, in their personal and professional lives? Well, I'm not a management consultant, so I'm not really going to help a business with its process, processes. 
business for me is always about relationships. So mm. let's, let's say, I'm, and I have quite a few tech entrepreneurs as clients, and and so you know, they think, well, we're making, we don't don't have to worry about relationships. We're dealing, we're doing, we're doing tech, you know, and lots of engineers work on tech, and the engineers are famously not very tuned into people, and they like to solve problems. They like to be left alone to solve those problems, mm. ideally. But actually, if you think about what a business is, a, a business is actually a, a relational vehicle. So yes, I am developing a piece of tech, but the piece of tech is a symbol of my relationship with you. So if you're my customer, this isn't just something I'm trying to foist on you. This this is as a vehicle for us to have a relationship. So when I'm thinking about my tech, my tech is um, it, what, what you know. I've got to think about relationship. My tech has relationship with you. So do you? What are the fundamentals of related trust? Is one right? So I have to. Do, I don't release my tech, however much I'm being pressured by investors, and they will, and they have getting your tech into a sort of beta version before it's ready or so. But if your tech isn't working properly before it starts, then you will lose those valuable opening customers because your, your tech isn't reliable. And, and it's devastating because then the word of mouth effect which you need for an organic business starting up isn't there. And, and we, we live in a, a culture now where everything's on the internet. Everyone can review everybody else. So you've got to think in terms of relationships. Um, what is your what is your business saying? Or rather, try and put yourself in the shoes of the person who's on the receiving end of your of your business, whatever it be, whether it be a product or a service. Do I feel good knowing? You? Are you responsive to me? Can I trust you? Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Do you do you, is what you say about yourselves true? You know, and so on. Um, and so I get people to think like that. That's one of the things I do. But uh, you're saying, is it not? Re- is there anything I do that's not relational? Probably no, not really. Yeah, well, I was saying more around the realms of connection. But I suppose the other thing is another but, area. But connection is, but connection is a is a is a is a simple word, and connection is a very important word, and we don't get talked about connection growing up much. But it, you know, a, a, the, the bigger field that it's part of is something we might call relational psychology, which is absolutely fundamental to absolutely every area of life, human life. The quality of your life depends entirely upon the quality of your relationships. Um, and would you say, therefore, that relational psychology is at the core of your uh, is, is ultimately the core of your practice? Uh, and absolutely. with that, with, with, without I didn't know you, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that when I started, and I didn't even know that halfway through. But I absolutely know it now. It's absolutely cool. Yes, I've learned the hard way <laughs> sometimes. But that is absolutely fundamental. You yeah. cannot do anything without it. Yeah. Um, another thing, another area where, if my if my memory serves me correctly, and I think it does, is that you know another key key component of the things that you that you have taught me, and no doubt teach your other. Uh, teach your other clients is is that distinction between responding and reacting um would you would you like to just explain 
the, the difference to our listeners. I mean, I'm in some ways it's it, it it's a it, it's it may sound obvious, but but not everyone maybe will may be able to make the distinction and why and, and then maybe explain why the, why it's important what why the distinction is is so okay. crucial yes well i'm i'm kind of pushing uh i'll tell you how important it is <laughs> you've heard of iq yes you've heard of eq i'm pushing for there to be an rq right rq is is your response intelligence why is it important because it absolutely changes everything that happens next. That's why. So if you say something which you feel good about, and I go, uh-huh, how are you going to feel? I think you're going to you're going to feel Lloyd, you're going to feel this great. I've had, Lloyd, yeah. I've had this great idea for a new business. I go, uh-huh. I mean, yeah. it's like. Do you want to pitch me now? Yeah. <laughs> if I say, Michael, that sounds fantastic. Tell me more. I mean, it's com- you're, watch- it, you're right. right. Completely, completely right. changes the game, doesn't I, it? I, I, I know I'm exaggerating, but that is that's how important response is. If you do not know how to respond, if you're not capable of responding, then you will close down everything good that could happen next. Mm. Most people don't know about response. They only know about reaction. Yeah. And it's what we deal with. all. So reaction is sort of a knee-jerk, unconscious, impulsive, definitely not thought through. It's like I poke you, you poke me back. I slap you, you slap me. I mean, it's like that. Yeah. Um, and and it, and it, and reactivity has a history. We all have our own particular types of reactivity, and it's always to do with earlier life. This is where the psychology is important in the coaching aspect. But we we almost all have well, we all have some kind of reactivity. We're all sensitive mm-hmm. to something. We've had too much of something that's irritated us in our lives, and when someone else does it again. Ah. You know, we erupt, we become irritable, we become reactive and snappy. Mm. So response is where I, is where I'm able to sort of put a little. It's a, it's a, it's a mature way of dealing with a situation. I may hear something I don't really like. I go, okay, well, I'm, I've been here before. I know, I know what my triggers are. I know I'm probably gonna, I'm gonna choose a different response. I'm gonna choose something. And say, okay, so look, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I'm interested in your point of view. Tell me more. Rather than, oh, don't be an idiot. <laughs> you know, so it's learning to respond promotes conversation, it promotes understanding. When someone becomes snappy with somebody, it invariably triggers them to be snappy with us back. And, and so reactivity generally leads to relational breakdown. Mm. And that leads to, you know, terrible office politics, and as they call it. And, and so on response if we can learn the importance of response and i do teach business teams this and it's an art but it's it's an important one then then you 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 enhance creativity you enhance contribution you you enhance a sense of belonging um it, it changes everything it's a really powerful it sounds so simple yeah? how is reaction and response so different well you try living with one and the other and you'll see for yourself yeah, I mean, w- without question, and and certainly, you know, the, 
as I say, work in progress, of course, but the, the number of times that historically I'm, I might have been sort of, tr you know, triggered to react to something that someone has said to me or some, something that someone has sent me an email and, and how I respond to that it has has changed how or more importantly that i respond yeah, yeah to to what they to what i'm being told or, or what someone's saying to me or what someone's writing to me as opposed to um reacting to it mm. um and, and of course there's still going to be things that that are going to be triggering and going to make you mad or angry or sad or fearful or but you know because it's not not just about it's not just about angry emotions, isn't it? Because it, it can lead to a broad range, a broad host of emotions that can be can be elicited from something mm. that, that someone might say to you uh, in either written or audio form. Mm. Um, but I suppose it, that goes back into the the essence of also the essence of the coaching process, which is that someone can be I imagine someone can be progressing well and then there will be periods of regression um in spite you know in spite of all the progress that they might have made over a certain period well, you're, of time you're 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 very much talking about the sort of black belt skill level here i mean yes if you if you do coaching at any depth then then you might run into that sort of issue you know if i'm teaching a, a team how to talk to each other for best effect and to, to build team cohesion we don't get into regression if you're doing some deep personal work because you understand that because you've realized that something I'm habitually doing relates to some habitual conditioning in my life, then 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 we are definitely inviting regression there. Is that answering your question? Is that no, I think I think it's more a case of, you know, you you, you it, it's it, I, I'll, I'll put it more like, you know, you you're on a diet and you, you, you know, you're dieting well and you're you know controlling your calories and you're, you're getting your macros right and you're doing your. 10,000 steps a day and maybe some you know some gym work and then one you know and then you go and you know have an absolute binge for for a fortnight after doing really well for for, for three months you mm. know it's 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 that it's that kind of regression you know you you will have periods of going backwards and then you sort of get back on the wagon right okay now I understand see regression is a specific psychological term <laughs> Yeah, that's, it, it means, and that's where we're going a bit cross purposes. Aren't yeah, we? yeah, I know. But there's another kind of regression. You're right, and and actually there's a word for that we have in sport, and they call it the the ugly zone. Right. Okay. So so let's say that you play tennis a particular way, and then somebody spots a talent scout spots you and says, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put you in our development squad. You you got potential." And then the first thing they say is, "You're holding a racket wrong." You try changing your grip on a racket when you've been doing it for 10 years and suddenly they say, no, 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 you're never going to succeed with holding it that way. You've got to hold it yeah. this way. And so at, when you do the change, your game deteriorates instantly. But eventually, with practice, it gets better. So is that the kind of thing you mean? So yeah. it's, it's, it's a, you get, yeah, it, it, at first, most change feels clunky and clumsy because you're, you've challenged your idea of something. You've got to change the way you grip your life. You've got to change your grip. You've got to do something different. And at first, you're not sure how to do it. It all looks a bit clumsy and a bit awkward. But eventually, if you keep going, you get much better. That's the whole point of doing it. Yeah, uh, I, I think I think that's kind of 
in 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 the realms of, of of what we're you know of what I was referring to, which is I guess you have you'll have an immediate pr- period of success, and then mm. you you can go backwards, and then be, if you see that through, you'll 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 sort of find your you know you'll you'll find your way out of it, and you'll be better. And uh, yes, well, there's another. I think okay, now we go to be this. There is a there is something that happens, which is. There are people that come for coaching who say, look, I'm basically brilliant. I just need to enhance a few things. And so you enhance a few things. And then and then as you continue, they begin to get, oh, maybe it's something I'm doing. So what, what can happen as you start the sort of change process is you begin to realize that there's a common denominator in many of my problems. And that common denominator is me. <laughs> and then, you know, ah. <laughs> so the regression, maybe that's what you're referring to. There's a sort of process by being a oh, actually. So I start all cocky and positive, and then I end up going, oh my gosh, wow. And that can be quite sobering, you know, to to come face to face with some, you know, some blind spots that I have, or some hidden truths, or some some aspects of myself that I deny. Um, but when we do, it's a sobering experience, but it's ultimately liberating. But it does feel like you regress for a bit. Yes, this is true. We don't if, stay in that place. That's what this one going. And if we go, if we're going to change tack a little bit, um, hmm. you, we look at, um, you know, you, you talk, you talked about how, you know, essentially, you know, we as humans, we don't come with a manual. You know, we we don't have um you know we, we we basically don't know how to you know operate our operating systems uh for the most part some of us are obviously better some of us as i say and i probably don't include myself in that are better than than others um but ultimately we you know we are we are broadly clueless um but then when working with a coach like yourself we we find you know we we stumble on these revelations and and then we go woof and we effectively which we effectively go oh, of course that makes so much sense and I think uh, as of of course what what why didn't I think of that sooner I think that's something you and I have referred to as uh, or you and I have discussed previously as the elusive obvious the, the elusive obvious yes as soon as I say something people go of course why didn't I know that <laughs> yeah why didn't I see that earlier. Um, how, how much of that is a feature? How, how often does that feature in your in your practice? A lot. And and, and what and what and what are some of the key examples of of the elusive obvious? I mean, I know that there's a, a broad range, and I know you were once upon a time asked me to ask me to help you compile a list, and I failed miserably to give you any any tangible examples. Did did you make any any headway on producing that list? No, I just know it happens a lot. I'm trying to think. It's, it's funny, isn't it? It's a topic that's difficult to it's, think of it, examples for the, because you are yeah. dealing with elusive obvious. The, it's, um, it, it is. It is. It, it, the examples themselves are, are elusive, and yet. Yeah. Um, for example, well, I, let's take an example. Um, terrible example, really, in my way. But let's say you have a member of staff who's, who, who you judge to be difficult, you know, who's not doing what you want them to do. And you feel quite justified in being irritable with them because they're an idiot, you know. But when I point out that actually by 
standing in front of someone telling them an idiot, you're having the the opposite effect of the one you want to have. And what if we did that to you? So I might I might role play that with someone. I say, okay, so you play the part of you know whoever, and I'll be you. Let's see how you feel. And then they sit there and go, okay, then then we do it. And they go, oh my god, that's see what you mean. Mm. Right? It's like duh. <laughs> it's the elusive obvious. Yeah. So then see, we yeah. you can approach this person differently now. And maybe they're struggling. And maybe all you need to do is spend two minutes teaching them something and you could transform their performance. So, so, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, so in, that, in that set of circumstance, but by putting yourself in, in person, the person who's frustrating your shoe, the person who is frustrating, if you put yourself in their shoes, you you effectively cre- uh, create a, a, set of, a set of conditions where you can understand their mentality and where they're yeah. coming from. And essentially, yes. it, it it presents you with uh, a, a better understanding as to what they're experiencing, and then what how they could how you might how you might better engage and interact with them to help them. Let's say if, they, if they're someone you're managing, um, yeah. and, and and ultimately we're always managing people, whether it's upwards, downwards, or laterally, uh, and whether it's always. in a, bis- in a yeah. business context. But if you put and, yourself in there, sometimes shoes, ourselves too. Yeah. Yeah. But by putting yourself in their shoes, you can empathise with with what they're experiencing, and better engage and 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 interact with them. Um, yeah, that's an interesting. Um, well, uh, every you know, I've worked with small groups. I recently worked with a family which had a which had a was having a problem. They wanted to be a tight family, but they couldn't be. They they had lots of problems, but they were so busy being irritated with each other, they couldn't see the wood for the trees. So the elusive obvious again is, okay, so what's actually, what do you actually experience? Let's go around and find out what everyone's experiencing. And then as, as people spoke, they went, my God, I had no idea you felt that way. No, because we're too busy being upset. Mm. Our, our Most of our relational material is self, self-interested or self... Um, self-generated as well, right? Self-generated, that's the word, yes. So we're not, so that actually doesn't help us solve most problems. So most problems can be solved. You just bother to sit back and go, okay, hang on a second, before I sort of pummel this person with all my judgments, let's find out what's going on for them. Nine times out of ten, that's a transformation experience. Try, trying to understand people's uh, trying to understand people's motivations what you know their point yes, of view what, 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 they're, what they're coming from where yeah, they're coming without, from without the four reasons which is judgment criticism blame and shame because we're so you know ir- irritated by someone's performance we tend to go to one of those mm. and, and very often all four okay so let's let okay so yeah. while we're here let's 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 do a, a, an interesting role play uh, on, on on that theme all right Mm-hmm. I am I am Vladimir Putin, okay. Oof. How, mm-hmm. how, I I come to you, Lloyd. Uh, how, how how do you engage with me? How, how do you uh, you know how do you how do you you know how do you how do you go about that interaction without w- without any of the sort of the four evils? It's going to be it's it's going to, I, I'm I'm presenting a very is, difficult is, client, is, a very difficult a, client, a very difficult client, very risky this conversation as well. Don't do politics. No, 
but let's just let, let, but, let's just but, have some but, fun with it. But, but, no, no judgment. No judgment on on anything that's going on, on, on politically. I'm not proposing that we should no. be. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Okay. I think in any in any political situation, I don't see why it should be done any different to any other situation. People. So, you know, we we have judgments and about him. We have we want to blame him for things. We we you know it's easy to demonise the man because he's a whatever. I'm not saying we should do the opposite, but I, I, I know that I do not understand his motivations. I've tried listening to various talks, trying to understand them, but I'm not, I don't actually feel like I really do. How? So how? I would how want, yeah. I, I, but, but you see, this is a difficult question because we're in the realm of politics and we're in the realm of people who have an interest in steering politics in certain ways for agendas far beyond the edges of what we're looking at. So I, um, the best person to go and listen to, to this is a guy called Daniel Schmechtenberger, who, who there's a, he's got some videos, there's one he did called War on Sensemaking, and he has some wonderful insights about, about the uh, political realm. Um, but certainly if I, if, if, if I, if I, if I could, step in and and not be subject to all these various agendas and sub agendas and then is just to actually to do the run the same process and what are you experiencing what's that what and the earth is happening here and what do you yeah. want what do you need and I, I know there's different different people with different wants and needs but yeah. i've run this process in families where they're also at loggerheads and we always find something yeah so it, I, it, I suppose the, the key the key point is uh, the danger you the danger that you always have is that if you, if you if you go into a dialogue with someone who is you know I, I suppose some someone that you might feel very negatively towards you have to not make them feel othered that that try to try to be inclusive try to be uh, empathic to them try, as as best you can even if you find them you know if you find that them what they stand for completely misaligned with your own personal values yeah. it is essentially to to try essentially you know essentially to put yourself in try to put yourself into their shoes try to understand them better try to understand their motivations their wants and needs their drives mm-hmm. and 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 in doing so try to create a better sense of understanding between uh, and and try to find some common ground well you you can't change relationships without understanding if you don't you don't practice empathy you haven't got any foundation to build a relationship on Uh, unless your interests happen to coincide and so there's no conflict but as soon as there is a difference and there is a conflict you cannot resolve it by just shouting that or or, or making accusations bigger, and that's kind of what I see in the news actually. Uh, you know, what's the headline today? Macron slams. Here's the word: slams China for something or other. China rebuffs and slaps back or whatever. It, the language is extraordinary. So adversarial. How is anyone supposed to change anything with with these blaming, shaming languages? It's just mm. ridiculous. It's it, uh, unless there's some subtle high-level political process that 
thrives off these, or these words are code for something, I don't know, but I, in human relational terms, they make no sense to me. That's all I can say. Well, I think it's, we're currently in an era where the, the media and social media and, and I suppose the traditional mainstream media um, thrives on creating division. Uh, and uh, you know the yeah. the 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 empathic yes. uh, the empathic understanding uh, connection yes. building language that y- yeah. you you uh, you and perhaps maybe less successfully I might adopt is, is most yes. is isn't isn't perhaps going to get as many clicks and sell as many papers and yes. or, or subscriptions to, uh, can, can imagine, to various channels. Can you imagine, can you imagine the headline where. Um, China sends um, notes of congratulations to such and such an organization for doing such a wonderful job. Or, you know, Macron praises China for its libertarian views on whatever. You know, yeah. it's not headlines, it's not news. No, it, it, it's sadly not newsworthy. The, um, I, I suppose on a sort of related theme, and, and actually I've seen I've seen it flashing in and out of, of your uh, of your background, uh, it probably is a good segue to the fourfold way uh, and to talk about that, which obviously is a very key part of it, it's, it's a very key part of, of engagement and dialogue and, and also mm. uh, but also accept uh, but also acceptance and, and not necessarily because because not all conflict, not all conflicts or not not all, you know, parties that disagree on things or disagree on outcomes are reconcilable so could you talk us through the fourfold way because that's a it's obviously a very uh a, a very key part of your um of your practice as well yeah well if you think of your life as a journey um then you know you need some navigation tools so the fourfold way is simply a tool you can pull out when you need it which is probably often if you think about it um, so I'll tell you the steps, then we can go through them. The first one is show up. Second one is pay attention. Third one is speak the truth. And the fourth one is be open. And brackets to outcome, those brackets. Now that sounds really simple. And you think, well, how could that change? You know, how how can that be important? Um, Showing up. What does showing up mean? It doesn't mean say, hello, I'm in the room. <laughs> it means I've come to the room deliberately to do something useful. Showing up. I'm, I'm not just here because I have to be. I'm here because I choose to be. Hmm. You're not making up the numbers. No. I. Oh, and that's another thing. Actually, that's a very important thing. We have this idea that seems to be a collective idea that somehow Unless I'm in my particular role, I'm not really needed, I'm not really that important. And we all are. Because I'm very affected by the way you are. If I'm in a room with you, you affect me. And I affect you. And that's true for everybody. They don't realise it, but it's happening. No, it's, it's maybe on their side. But so showing up is uh, choosing to participate effectively. So I'm not zoning in and out. I'm I'm here. And when I'm here, I'm going to pay attention. That's number two. Pay attention. Now, pay attention means paying attention to you, what you're saying. I'm paying attention to the what's going on in the room. I'm paying attention to what's happening in me. 
and I'm paying attention to the space in between. So I'm paying attention to the language that's being used. I'm paying attention to the body language that I'm seeing displayed. It's like, you know, it's real. You know, I'm not just. You know, I mean, this is what participation means. And, and, and in the SAS, they call it situational awareness. You really switched on to what's going on. And if you will burst into a room with terrorists and hostages, you've got you know, fractions of a second to make a decision who you're going to shoot. So if you're not tuned, if you're not skilled at understanding what's going on in any given moment, how are you supposed to respond appropriately? Mm. Well, I think so also paying that... attention. So paying attention is much more than it sounds like. It's it's a very intense process. Sorry, interrupting. Well, I was only, I was only going to say I was only just going to add, and sorry, it was me that interrupted you. So apologies for that. But um, I was going to add, you know, because you talked about body language, and of course, so you know, only so much communication is verbal. You know, a, a lot of particular. There are obviously yeah. cultural differences, but sometimes what's what's being what's actually being said isn't what's it's not isn't what's being said verbally it's what you, you mentioned body language is you know is someone slouched is someone is someone not making eye contact with you are they, are they turned away from you are they turned towards you you know all these look all there are lots of signs on cues as i'm sure you, you you'll you, i mean you as you see every day which tell you that just because someone's saying something doesn't mean necessarily that's that's exactly what they mean, um, no. and so and so hence it, it further emphasises the importance of paying attention in that scenario. Yeah. So if I ask them a question and the first thing they do is look away, I know that they don't want to tell me their truth, and they yeah. fact they may find it very difficult to acknowledge their own truth. I don't need to then terrorize them for not telling me the truth I, i've got some information so now i go okay this is obviously a sensitive area so then i revise how i'm inquiring so 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 i'm using this information so tell the truth is the third one or speak the truth and that doesn't mean just simply being honest it means it means doing what i say it means being true so it, it means that i'm I'm going to act according to what I, what my values are, according to my truth, my own personal reality. Um, so, telling the truth. Uh, I know there are some business I've got a book on my shelf that talks about radical honesty, and that's bounced around as a as a desirable thing. And there are times when it's when it's appropriate, but also times when it's not appropriate. If someone is struggling. And I bombard them with my radical truth. I may injure them. I may turn them. I may close them down. And then I will lose them as a human. So sometimes, you know, just referencing my own truth and not being mindful of other people's sensitivities is is not the best strategy. Okay. Um, so my so it, again, I'm being true to what I know. I know that people have sensitivities. I know that people are reactive. These are my truths. I understand these are realities. So I'm not going to just say something without thinking. That's my reality. Mm. It's my truth. So if I can see someone struggling with a particular thing, I don't need to do radical honesty. I, I just need to find a way to be true to my own values and truths without cutting them that's the point 
And being open to and being open to outcome is you know, having spoken my truth. Then we'll see what happens now. And that's important because a lot of people. And a lot of men behave this way with women, and I used to do it too, so I know is that a man will kind of predict what he thinks a woman's going to say. And then tell her a version of events that gets the outcome he desires. And in so doing compromises his own integrity which then she can smell. Does that make sense to you? Can we expand on that? Because I, I, this is, I, I'm, I sp I'm speaking on behalf of all men. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear more. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, let's think of an example. Um, This is a problem when you start speaking in generalizations. Yeah, I know I have data, but um, I'm just trying to think of an actual example. It's not always easy to come up with a good example. Um, is, is it, uh, you know, do I look, is it, does this go beyond, I was, do, I do, do, I, do I look, yeah. do I look <laughs> X in this dress, exactly. you know? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. And, and you, know, you have to decide, do I, Give her my radical honesty, or do I, do I tune into her vulnerability and sensitivity in this moment? Well, yeah, I and mean, certainly being open to outcome. In my in my experience, the the the, the outcomes are, are generally the same, whatever you say. Well, it, well, you have to become skillful. You can say yes, but I, you look spectacular in that yellow one, or whatever you know. Oh, so, so deflect. So, so de deflect. Deflection. Deflection is better than de than than speaking your truth if if someone's in a sensitive space. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean it, that that's that's fair. That's that that that's that's a that, that is a useful. But I, I I guess when I talk about being open to outcome, I I, I I've always taken that to mean to you know let's just say you know having having been in a business situation and I know you were kind of part of that journey as well where trying to you know trying to persuade business associates to to stay part of the journey and to, to remain involved in, in, in a certain in a certain business venture um and and, and ultimately it's it was a better experience you know let's say applying the fourfold way but it was a better it was a better experience by not you know essentially not trying to force the ultimate outcome of them which would have been the ideal outcome for me was for these business associates to remain involved in the project um but but also accepting that regardless of what i said i might not be able to persuade them to to remain involved and so my open you know my openness to the outcome that I might not be able to persuade them was was equally important to that dialogue. Mm. Yeah. Or or did I or did I misread or misunderstand the the, uh, the fourfold way in that context? Uh, I, I think not. Um, if you're going to do something well, it, it, you need to be fully invested. 
And if you're doing something, if you can do something good with other people, you will need to be fully invested. And, and more importantly, you need to have the same goals, the same values, the same vision. So sometimes people are tempted to do a deal because the deal looks good and be not mindful about other factors like, yeah, you know, actually so-and-so doesn't get on very well with him. Uh, well, the goal is we're going to make three million or whatever, you know, and just ignore reality. So that that's the fourfold way it comes in there, because the truth is we have a relational difficulty here, which will affect the deal. If I push ahead with the deal, it's going to make it worse. Or I have to reconfigure people or, you know, the, the cap table or whatever. I've got to do something rather than otherwise I'm kicking the can down the road. And the longer I kick the can down the road, the bigger the can gets and the more noise it makes and the bigger the problem's going to be. So it's actually better to deal with the, the reality, even if it means that the deal may not happen. Because if you try and if you try to pursue the deal, so in that situation, if you try to pursue the deal, yeah. um, you know, the, the problem will not go away. And if anything, the problem will get worse. Yes. And I've seen this problem with so when a big company acquires a small company. The big company kind of gets a bit bullish and says we can exploit these guys. The little guys. Um, feel exploited, they become resentful. They start to perform less well than the big company would like them to have done. And 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 I had a really big FD who talked about this. It's very important, actually. He said, you have to think of every new business deal as a marriage. It's not about getting one over on someone else or pulling, pulling, you know, the rabbit out the back, out the hat. It's it's actually about arranging the relationship so that everybody feels it's fair. Yeah. The little guy knows he's the little guy. He's not needing you to treat him in any other way, but he does want to be treated with respect. And if you do that, he will perform brilliantly. And actually, you may not get such a good deal on the paper, but you may get a better deal in the long run because it kept everybody engaged and motivated. And also, you're going to have fewer management problems with happy people. Well, that's that, that's quite a nice I suppose an example, nice piece of advice from a sort of live, live or, or lived, uh, a lived experience. Within within the world of coaching, what what would you describe as the the biggest challenges as as a coach? Like, what, what's the biggest challenges that you you have to encounter on a you know on a day to day or week to week basis or even a month to month basis? You talk, you're talking about the experience of being a coach or the experience of working with people who are having coaching? So both, actually, cool. both. Yeah. All, I mean, it's 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 a broad it's a broad uh, you know it, it's a broad question. Okay. I mean, you can start you can start um, with your well, you can start with you as a coach. Biggest of problem. Well, there are certain clients I've I've steered away from because of my experience, and and they are the huge corporates because their culture is so embedded, so strong, that even if you take a team and work with them, and they get lots of benefit from it, once you put them back into the company, the company culture takes over again and, change, and, and softens all, those, all the benefits. So for me, it's 
fairly thankless. It's very well paid, but very thankless. Um, generally, mm. um, I love working with medium companies. I love startups as long as they're properly funded. Um, you know, proper proper startups. Um, I love I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love the mindset. I love the I love the commitment to growth. So that's what I prefer. Um, in terms of personal challenges, I think the I think the yeah the most obvious one is is um, being being on your own doing it. I mean I do a very sociable job. I work with people, but in between working with people, I'm on my own. So it's actually quite a lonely experience for me. And this came up on my executive coaching training actually. Some very experienced exec coaches were on the course teaching us and. They all said the same thing. It's lonely. So being in a study group and having colleagues who I can interact with them. Because you know, sometimes if you have a win, you want to phone someone and say, hey, I did a really good job. I, I pulled the bag. You know, I, I, I actually made something work really well. And, and, and they go, fantastic. Well done. You know, I had a I coached a, on a one on one, a very, a very a well known. Um, guy and. Um, and he said, gave me some wonderful feedback, and and I and I, and I can't just go around. I'm not, I'm not a boastful person, so I couldn't just go you know, blog it or something. I just I rang some colleagues and said, hey, I had this feedback, and they said that's great, well done you. And so I was able to go, ah, you know, validated, yeah. sharing. Yeah. Um, yeah, similarly, it's, it's if something goes wrong, there's someone else I can call and say uh, something didn't go at all right today. And they say, well, what, what? Tell me the, tell me the facts. What happened? You know, we do that for each other, and it, and it really helps. But yeah, being on your own, doing work on your own is probably the, the, the hardest part. No, oh, I, I mean, in in my current in my current working setup, I, I think actually there's uh, obviously I work with work with the various companies that I'm involved in, but a, a lot of the time I'm I'm also on my own, and yeah, there's definitely that you 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 miss that you miss being in an office with other people and, and actually having that that day-to-day -day kind of water cooler water cooler interaction <clears throat> i can imagine that was probably the one of the hardest parts of your transition from being a, a tv producer and and part-time doing the the coaching to to going to coaching full-time uh was actually not having not being able to have those, those those interactions with the other with the other colleagues that you that you worked with yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, true and as you said, you, it's not like you can go and post. You can boast on LinkedIn about your great successes because ultimately, Sorry. there's uh, ultimately it's very private. Uh, uh, very private. A lot of the yeah. things that are being shared with you, and it won't be it won't be yeah. remotely appreciated. <laughs> it's a friend of mine who loves to joke. He says um, we have a joke about modesty. He says yes, uh, modest is not one of my faults. Uh, and then another joke is he said yes, well, I'm Modest me? Yes, well, I am. Yes, well, I mean, I am extremely modest, of course, because uh, I actually have an awful lot to be modest about. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good, very good joke. Um, I, I guess we're kind of uh, we're coming up to an hour and a half, hmm. uh, very close to. So we, we can probably start to wind this down, and and we'll come sure. back. We can come back to the, uh, come back and do do this again sometime soon. But um, a question a question I would have wanted to ask you was about about people uh people or places or or events that have inspired you in your journey as a coach 
Um, obviously, I've, 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 I've written down here, James Hollis is, a, is the most obvious example, but that's probably oversimplifying it. And there's, there's probably people that, you know, that we haven't discussed that you might, uh, that, that you might want to share or, or speak about that have also been equally or, or, or even more inspirational um, in your life, both from a coaching perspective, but also more generally. Well, when I turned down the GP's offer to take antidepressants and went in search of a man to help me make sense of this bizarre experience I was having, I, I was lucky to come across a man called Dr. Bruce Lloyd. And uh, so he, he was the most influential person. He, he sat with me one-on-one -on -one for seven years and helped me uh, adjust my, my relationship with myself and the way I was showing up in the world. Um, so he was the most profound influence that would affect anybody else, of course. James Hollis is someone I later met. I, I, it was actually Bruce who introduced me to his books. And, and and eventually I was able to make contact with him directly. We've become friends later in life, um, which was wonderful. Uh, I made a little film with him and also um, had him over to London to do a workshop. He's only based in, in the mm. States. Uh, other than that, I would say the probably, I mean, the course, all the courses I've done, whatever they are, have been have been important because they're all bits bits of the journey. There's always things. There's always something to learn, some new experience to be assimilated and incorporated into how you do things. Um, I think most importantly, actually, is just all the clients I've had, you know, and the way that actually seeing. What happens to people as a result of me talking to them and as a result of, you know, what we've discussed and how we've discussed it, you know, their, their concept acquisition path, if you like, you know, how they've taken the learning and what they've done with it and, and how they've evolved it and how where they've ended up. And that, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, they, clients like yourself probably think, you know, oh, it's all one way traffic. Well, it's not. No, I'm, I'm learning all the time about how to be, you know, how to be better at what I do, you know, how to be more you know, potent in the way I support and, and, and how to deliver the information that I know in the most effective way. And that, so that's, um, that's so the clients themselves have been a huge part of my growth and development. Mm. Uh, and actually, in the last seven years, my study group has been phenomenally helpful. My understanding has escalated. I have a question for you, by the way, when, it, when you judge it's the end of our interview. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get onto that, but ho hold that thought for a second. Um, I mean, ha, ha, you spoke about the clients um, yeah. and, and obviously you, you have a very profound effect on, on the clients, first and foremost. Um, how, how do you, you know, a lot of the time you'll, you'll be discussing sometimes very, very personal, very, very difficult experiences and emotions with clients. How do you compartmentalize that I can you can you compartmentalize that no, um i don't that's not not how it works and and then so does that and, and hence is that why you can only see four clients a day because because it's so emotionally is it because it's so emotionally draining and it takes time for the energy of the past client meeting to dissipate before you can really center yourself and get get onto the next get onto the next client is that is that is that a key part of the process? 
There's not a simple answer to that question. Um, okay. It's a combination of things. It is well known. There's a very important um, picture. Sorry, I've got a bookshelf in front of me. You can't see it. I appreciate. There's a, there's I, I, a, obviously, obviously, I know, I know it because I, I've been, I've been in that room. But... It many times. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But there's, um, yeah, there's a, a man called Irving Yellow who is one of the great teachers of psychotherapy. I'm, I'm not a psychotherapist, but I, but there's always, as I say, you need to read all around mm. your area to know what you're talking about. Uh, and he says, very importantly, he says you need to develop a new therapy for each client. Now he's a he's a radical thinker in some ways in psychotherapy, um, and 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 he also promotes the idea that you build in lots of gaps. Now most therapists, psychotherapists, don't do that. They see one after the other. But I'm I'm I've made the decision. I want to do my coaching in the fourfold way, right? So showing up, I'm going to participate. I'm not just here. Okay, next. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I am. Um, I'm. I'm not in your face, but I'm sitting there and I'm attending and I'm switched on and I'm looking in the eye and we're here to 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 work and journey. We're here to make changes. We're not here to pass the time. And and that kind of level of intensity is demanding. Slight difference between driving a car on a motorway at 70, on a 55, mm. and driving an autobahn, shall we say, considerably faster. If you've ever driven a car very, very fast, if, unless you're a racing driver, it's actually very demanding. It's it's exhaust. It's much more tiring driving a car very fast than it is driving at a moderate speed, because it's the it's the amount of attent attentiveness you require. Because everything's flashing past much faster, you're still going to clock all the same things, but you've got to do it twice the speed. Um, it's, it's demanding. It's just something about the, the the nature of intense activity which is demanding. And us fighter pilots and anybody else, they'll tell you the same thing. So it's it's the amount of a it's the amount of energy I'm putting into the sessions that that's makes it demanding. There is also some people sometimes they unveil we unveil something in their story which is very upsetting and that's been influencing the way they show up and i don't shy away from that we will we will we'll look at it we'll see how it's been changing things um, and sometimes those stories can be very distressing i wouldn't say it's common that that happens but it does happen but ultimately i see coaching as a very creative process very optimistic very creative I do not feel burdened by it. I feel energized by it. I think it's absolutely fantastic when someone who was in an adversarial relationship with people learns to do something responsive and develops harmony, changes things, develops better relationships with their family at home, changes relationships for the better with their work colleagues. You know, I'm sitting here and it's like the ripples are going out. This positive effect coming from the work that I'm doing, not just with the person in front of me, but all the people they know too. Yeah. So it's yeah. wonderfully creative. And some people say, well, how did you, you know, filmmaking is creative, surely. Well, yeah. But actually 90% of your job is, the, you know, office, 10% is actually out filming. So I actually think the work I have now is, is at least as creative. 
Because but, you're starting with something you don't understand, and you're turning it into something productive and good and wholesome. But but ultimately, it's, it, you know, it, the <laughs> the level of fulfilment that you get, you would have got from filmmaking, you know, because from a vocational standpoint, compared to the impact, profound impact that you have on the lives of your clients, it's just, mm. it, you know, it's it, it's it's incomparable. I mean, yes, you might have yeah. you, you you might make that one film that has a profound impact on millions of people's lives, but the the odds of that are no. Not, I would say not that high. Mi- I would say millions of people have seen my programs or saw my programs in the past tense. I don't see millions of people now, and I don't influence millions of people. But the people I do influence, I influence profoundly. Yes. Yeah. So it's not a question of quality quantity; it's a question of quality. Yes. But how do you, uh, you know, again, last couple of questions, but how do you resist the temptation to try and fix someone? I mean, I've been listening to Simon Sinek speak recently and he, you know, and he, he spoke very negatively about the, about how jarring it can be when someone presented with a problem or someone shares a problem with them and they try and fix them rather than, as he describes it, sitting in the mud with them and and and, and just experiencing that 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 negative or difficult emotion with them how you know how do you you, you know and, and I can say this because having worked with you for so many years it's not you know you, your natural instinct isn't to sit to, to try and fix someone but as uh, you know if, if I was faced with the same problem or, or, or the, the same if, if I was in your shoes I think I'd struggle to not try to fix someone yes I know um yeah, well, it's to do with what type you are, partly as well. Mm. There are different typologies of people. I'm, I'm opening a new subject, but no, let's not go there. It's too long. But um, there are there are different yeah there are different archetypes that we 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 represent. Um, your yeah, so we're going to have a different impulse, but we can still learn to do things differently. But the impulse will be different depending on which typology you are. Um, got the question now. Sorry. It, was, it was basically like, uh, yeah. it was, how, how do you, how do you resist the temptation to try not to try fix, oh, yes, to fix, fix the problem, fix the problem, um, and, and actually well, just listen, listen and experience yeah. it. Well, occasionally I do actually. It depends. Again, it depends what the what the problem is. Because like I said, you don't do the same thing for everybody. You've got to you've got to be paying attention. You've got to understand what someone's experiencing, understand what they prefer, what they want, and try and give it to them. So sometimes it, it is appropriate for me to give advice and tell people and my, my opinion on something. Sometimes. I wouldn't say generally that was true, but sometimes it is. Especially if we've got very limited time and we have to make some big impact. I might say, well, try it this way. Just do it that way. Let me know how it goes. You know? <laughs> um, but I, my preference is that rather than being told what to do, you learn why to doing something is a better way. So you really buy into the reasoning behind it so that you do it in a different mindset and you get a good result. Just being told to do something. I, 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 I hate all this didactic and coaching, you know, five ways to be a better person, you know, better, do this better, do that better, do that better, and do that better, and you'll be brilliant. Yeah. And he said, you know, I look at this stuff and go, no, really? I'm, you didn't think I'd thought of that? <laughs> yeah. 
you know, it's just silly, really, and immature. Yeah. So if it was that simple, everyone would be doing it. It's not that simple. So you've got to help people overcome whatever resistance it is they have to doing it that way. And so instructing them to do it isn't the way. Helping them understand why it would be better to do it that way and what's traditionally been in their way and how they might swing around to doing it is a much more effective way. It takes longer, but the effects are real and sustainable. Um, that's uh, that's actually really interesting and uh, I, I, I quite enjoyed that that explanation actually. Um, I, I have a, I, I, I'm developing a bit of a closing tradition uh, on these conversations to, uh, to basically what you would say to your 17 year old self, but in, in uh, what advice you would give to your 17 year old self. But actually, in a funny way, I think I'd like to I'd, I'm going to change the year because I think particularly in your case, because of what you experienced around 35, what if, if you if you were going to talk to your 34 or 35 year old self now, what would you say to them? What advice? What would advice would you give yourself at, at that age? Unless you want to choose a different age. In and and, and I might say it's in ninety seconds or less, please. No, oh, I can do it in about five seconds. I wouldn't say anything. You wouldn't say anything. No, because they're going through. You know, I was going through my process. I. It's very easy to look at your life and and judge it from the perspective of where you are now. But I was then, I was that age with that set of sensibilities. What, 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 what can I possibly say to myself that would make any difference? Not really. I, mean, I had to live, I had to go through it. And I'm glad I did because I'm here now and I actually like being here. I don't think I would have wanted it tweaked and changed. I mean, it, it wasn't always comfortable, but, you know, through suffering, we come to wisdom. Advice? <laughs> This will pass. You will become a better man at the end of it. Don't worry. I mean, that would be my advice if I had any at all. It's I just mean, it's go, just go, sit with it, go through it, and and it's, it's worth it. Yeah. Amazing, um, Lloyd. Um, thank you very much. I think our time is up now. Yes. Um, if any of our listeners or viewers want to reach out to you, where can people find you? Uh, through you. Through me. Because I, okay. I work on recommendation only. I have had a website, but it's I don't even have that anymore. Truly, I, 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 I don't. It's it's all. It's not who you know. That sounds a bit elitist, but I it's. I prefer to be have people referred because I know where they're coming from, and then, and then we have a. I'm just walking on off the street, as it were. Yeah. Well, and and I have referred a few people to Lloyd historically, um, so I'm more than happy to refer any of our listeners or viewers to Lloyd. Um, I think we'll have Lloyd on again soon because there's a lot more ground that we that we need to cover. Um, but for now, Lloyd, uh, as you would say, go well. And uh, I would. <laughs> that is uh, my phrase. Yes. And we we'll, and we we'll, and we will speak again soon. I look forward to it. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. 
They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avermorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.